Now, um, you might remember that I had done, in the month of August, I did five uh, sermons on Acts 14.22, which means we're at Acts 15. Now, uh, unfortunately, um, or maybe not unfortunately, but I need to read at least the first 35 verses of Acts 15, because I don't think the message of Acts 15 is particularly um, known. But it is a pretty key chapter of Scripture. I don't think it's as key as Romans 7, but it's a pretty significant chapter of Scripture because it deals with something that was a crisis in the uh, fledgling church. Uh, Acts 15 is known as the Jerusalem Council. An event, it describes an event, an event known as the Jerusalem Council and what takes place at that Jerusalem Council, ladies and gentlemen, you, as you sit here, sit here tonight, are affected by what took place in, Roman, in Acts chapter 15. So let me read you, I won't do this every week that we're in Acts 15, but I, I, I want you to get the, the panoramic view of the story, of the event, and then we'll go back and, and kind of address it in parts. So here we go, Acts 15 verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all of the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But Some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when, they had been much, no, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know what, that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many uh, miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they, had become, after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it, as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, 
being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barnabas or Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are in the, uh, of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with the words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being as, uh, assembled with, uh, with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they, had, they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted, strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with their greetings from the brethren to the, to the apostles. However, it, remained, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now, guys... What you have described there is a very significant event in the life of the church. It happens to be pretty much of a conflict. People love church fights. And um, I've got a book in my uh, library entitled Great Church Fights. And before this little uh, series on uh, Acts 15 is over, I'm going to bring that book out and read some of it for you. But... Here you've got on your hands a little church fight. I mean, guys, um, did you notice in verse 2? Uh, and um, but had no small dissension and dispute with them. That's a very nice way of saying they fought like cats and dogs. Oh, there, there, there's something very important at stake, and there's a squabble that's going on. And so what happens is they appeal to a... Uh, they, they decide that the, the way to settle this is to call an assembly of all of the leaders and the prophets and the elders and all these people in the, in the church, get them together at this, in Jerusalem uh, uh, and pound it out and uh, figure out what's going to be the position of the church. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, the Christian church is affected today by what took place uh, in, in Jerusalem at, uh, in Acts chapter 15. Uh, some pretty significant stuff, and I, and I hope to show you how significant before we're finished. But, guys... Every period in the life of the church has known controversy. Even the life of Jesus was marked by the life of Judas. I mean, there's always um, uh, battles to be fought as the truth is defended. Gang, the issue at stake here is whether or not to require that Gentiles be circumcised before they could ever be included in the Christian church. Can you see how significant that is? Um, at its smallest, it's the battle over Christian liberty. At its largest, it's a battle over the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, there are denominations that uh, surround you in this city to this day that are saying, 
if you are not baptized by us in the way that we deem fit, you can't be saved. It's the same squabble, ladies and gentlemen. It's the same issues. Um, the, the, the issue of Gentile inclusion has been, I mean, it's, it's interesting how this develops because the, the issue of Gentiles in the church came up, as you might recall, back in Acts chapter 10. Do you remember that? When Peter has this vision about the, the animals and he goes to Cornelius' house. Do you remember all that? And then he comes to report it to the people back in Jerusalem and they say, wait a minute, let's look into this. And so he says, here's what happened. And they say, okay, that's fine. But guys, because um, in, the, in the, the missionary work of the Apostle Paul, he's traveling around all that countryside and there's Jews scattered everywhere, um, that there are Gentiles responding to the gospel right and left. And so those who are of Jewish um, uh, lineage and are being converted themselves are a little concerned. Well, it was okay when it was Cornelius. But now Cornelius has got lots of friends. This, this ministry, this Gentile mission on the part of Paul was gathering momentum. The trickle of Gentiles into the church has now become a torrent. It was okay when it was just a few of them. You know, it's all right if we can just have a little few Gentiles here and there. But now it seems like the church is about to be run over. With Gentiles. So something's got to be done about this. We don't put a stop to this. This church is going to become run over by Gentiles. And so there were those inside the Christian church who were saying, all right, if we're going to let those Gentiles in, we need, they need to be circumcised before they can be included into the Christian church. And so Paul, this fiery little pistol, he says, no way. Now, guys, um, I'm not going to read it tonight. Probably next week we'll come back and read it. But I want you to keep your finger in Acts 15, and I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Actually, Galatians 1 and 2. Most people, and I, and I being one of them, but I mean most orthodox, conservative uh, um, scholarship suggests that the that the event that is described in Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through oh gosh 14 16 something like that is the event that unfolded in Acts 15 that what Paul is describing in Acts excuse me in Galatians 2 verses 1 and following is a further record, actually it's what happened before, kind of uh, prior to the great council in Jerusalem. And you'll recall, of course, I mean, um, uh, this is where, um, um, uh, let's see, where, where Peter and Paul tangle, uh, where uh, Paul calls Peter, you know, down. I mean, I, I'm trying to find the, the, the place where he does it, where he's, uh, he gets pretty upset about what Peter has done. Because Peter um, has sided with those who are called Judaizers, had sided with them, and had withdrawn his fellowship from Gentiles. 
Now, guys, think about that. It was Peter who was used of God to introduce the gospel to the first Gentile. But later on, he got a little pressure from, uh, you know, his buddies back in the Jerusalem church. And uh, in response to that pressure, Peter divorces himself and withdraws from any table fellowship with Gentiles. Because you're not circumcised. Paul hears about that, and then he comes a-roaring into into Galatia and says, what in the world do you think you are doing, Peter? I wish I could find the the text where it says, he he withstood him face to face in public. What what is it? 2.11, thank you. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a public dispute between the two leaders of the church. It's the two most visible, uh, most vocal, most influential leaders in the Christian church, and they're fighting in the street. You want to see how bad it is? Look at chapter 1 of the book of Galatians. I love this. Oh, that some of us had this kind of verve to our souls. Look what he says. This is... um. Um, let's begin at verse 6. Galatians 1. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than the one we, we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, Paul, you've gotten carried away there. Calm down. You know, we're Christians here, and you know how we value peace among the brethren. And then he says, okay, you think I was just overstating my case? Watch this. As we have said before, so I say again now, if anyone preaches another gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. In essence, Paul says, if anybody tampers with the gospel that you heard me preach, let him go to hell. That, guys, that's not, that's not uh, um, uh, some kind of profane language. It is, let them fall under a divine curse. What would you call that? If you tamper with this gospel, let them go to hell, says Paul. You that convinced that you're right? Are you? Then why on earth would you let people tamper with this message over which the souls of men are at stake? Why? I mean, you know, one of my greatest frustrations is people who, who, you know, I, I, um, they come from time to time. I don't get this often, but, you know, um, Dr. Young, I've been coming to a Bible study over there at Grace Event with the women in your church, and, and uh, you know, they just really have been a blessing and a, and a thrill, and, and, um, and, and I've just learned things about the Bible that I've never learned in my life before, and, and I really appreciate you letting us come to that Bible study, like I had something to say about it, but, um, and, um, you know, over at our church, um, um, you know, they make fun of the Bible over at our church, and, and, um, you know, they talk about how there's many errors in it. And, and, and uh, you know, they tell us all kinds of things, this, that, and the other. And I, said, and I say, uh, well, tell me, madam, why, why do you stay in that environment? Well, Dr. Young, it's my family church. My grandfather started that church. 
And, um, you know, my, my father went to that church, and I've been going to that church all my life, and, and we, just, we could, just couldn't ever leave it. I said, well, let me ask you this. Uh, let's say that you've been shopping at the same grocery store all your life, but the meat is rotten, and the, food, and the, and the milk is rancid, and the vegetables are wilted. Would you continue to shop there? Oh, no, no, no. Well, then tell me. Why in the world would you continue to submit your soul to such godless trash? Why would you? Well, Dr. Young, you need to, you need to back off. Well, you're being a little bit bold there, you know. <laughs> I, I think, bold? That's not bold enough. Somebody ought to stand up in the pew and say, shut up! That's enough of that drivel! Somebody ought to stand up and tell a man to shut up. Paul would. But you know how we like peace in the church. Well, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, this is a squabble of no small dimensions. Peter and Paul tangled. Paul won. Now, guys, I got 12 minutes left, and that ain't enough time. But I want you to—I want you to see—I want you to see what's at stake. We'll cover at least a portion of verse one. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's what's at stake. (laughs) This is a defining moment for the Christian church. A defining moment. If, if we leave it alone, and by the way, this is what Paul, I mean, um, we're going to have to read, say, Galatians 2 till next week. But these people come in, they come to the Jerusalem church, and they say, have you heard what Paul's doing? He's out there converting all those Gentiles. You want those Gentiles in the church? They're going to ruin the whole thing. This place is going to look like a bunch of Gentiles if you don't stop it. So here's what you need to do. You need to get everybody to circumcise and obey the law of Moses. Or they can't, and tell them they can't be saved. Paul just breathed smoke. Now, ladies and gentlemen, lest you think that Paul is nothing but a firebrand, um, I want you to notice in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, uh, 16.3, Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews. Do you see that? Paul is... is, is In 16.3, he is trying to accommodate... The, the audience. Because in 16, ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is not what's at stake. There are all kinds of things. I mean, you know, um, there's all kinds of... <laughs> I better not get into this. But there are, there are certain things in my life that I don't do. There are certain liberties that I think I have that I don't exercise just because I don't want to uh, bring unnecessary offense to the gospel. But guys, that's just the exercise of one's Christian liberty. In Acts 15, the issue is the gospel. And so Paul is absolutely unbending. You know, guys, um, in, in an in a age where tolerance is the only word that is allowed in, in, in um, 
in religious discussion, I'm afraid that you and I have gotten the notion that um, we need to soften our rhetoric just a little bit because we, we want to be thought of as, as tolerant. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, there are numerous areas that maybe we ought to. But not over this. Not over this. Ladies and gentlemen, you add baptism to the gospel and you've destroyed the gospel. You let somebody say that you've got to be baptized by us by immersion and you have destroyed the gospel. And nobody should sit idly by for that. None of you. Because ultimately people will be damned because they believe that. Paul staked everything on a similar argument, ladies and gentlemen, in the issue of just circumcision. And he fought him in the streets, and he fought him at the Jerusalem Council. And you better be glad that he did, because the work of Jesus Christ was not to be assaulted by any human addition, whatever it looked like. Now, guys, um, as I've already suggested, Paul is willing to accommodate, if it's possible, but he's not willing to accommodate over this. The church's message was being hammered out, and consequently, Paul had to make sure that it was hammered out correctly. Now, what I want to do, I'm not sure this is adequate time to do this, but what I wanted to at least try to close with is, I I wanted you to see the thing that I think is at stake as Paul states it in another portion of the book of Romans. In fact, we studied this last year. Um, In Romans chapter 6, probably between Romans 6.14 and Romans 5.20 and 21, it's probably the key statements in the book of Romans. But but Romans 6.14 is a wonderful statement that you must understand. He simply states, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Here it is. For you are not under law, but under grace. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, couldn't be any more important. That is what is at stake in Acts 15. A group of people who came to be known as the Judaizers were trying to reintroduce some kind of human work and tack it on to the gospel. In this instance, it, had to, it, uh, it was circumcision. Paul clearly states here and elsewhere, and you'll see it unfold as this council unfolds, um, that you are not under law. You are under grace. And he is going to make sure that nobody drags the Christian church back under law. Now what I wanted to do for you just real quickly is try and make sure that you understand at least this term under law. And what it meant, or what it means. What does it mean to be under law? Because you ain't under it anymore. But what does that mean? Because that's what is happening. That's what the Judaizers are trying to do: is turn the church into something that's uh, under law instead of under grace. Okay. Now, guys, think with me. There are two kinds of being under law. One is toxic, the other is non-toxic. That is, there is one brand of being under law that will damn you. It is a, it is a, a mentality, it is a, 
It is an effort on the part of man to, to pound out in his own way his own approach to God. It is a self-salvation. That is living under law. The whole no, not the whole world, but the, the massive majority of this world lives under a toxic law that suggests that if I just keep my nose clean, if I give United Way and I help little old ladies across the street, God will be good to me and He'll let me into His heaven. If I just work hard enough and perform at a higher enough level, that will save me. That's a toxic living under law. But the brand that you and I are guilty of is a non-toxic. It won't damn you. It just ruins you. Because, guys, I want you to notice something in this text, in verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now, guys, um, first of all, the church's biggest problem used to be outside it. Or it used to come from outside in. But now, this problem is coming from the inside out. This is... This is the brethren being taught by the so-called brethren. And it is, a, it, is a, it is an attempt on the part of any believer to develop his own identity apart from Jesus Christ. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me try to fill in some of the blanks. Guys, um, living under the law, as I, the toxic brand, is a, is a form of self-salvation. But any system by which I seek to justify myself and to establish my worth on any other grounds other than my union with Jesus Christ is living under the law. Any time I seek to develop my, my standing, my worth, my value among the people of God based on how well I've performed, I am living under law. Ladies and gentlemen, when I seek to, to create an identity, oh, I'll tell you what I am. I'll tell you how, what, you know, my, my, uh, my, uh, my worth in the kingdom is that I've memorized most of the New Testament. Or that my value in the, in the kingdom is that, uh, you know, I've been teaching Sunday school for 18 years. Or that I'm in church every Wednesday night. Or, um, um, I've been giving this or what, any time, ladies and gentlemen. You seek to develop your spiritual worth and your spiritual value in some system of performance, you are living under law. It is all this performance-oriented burden. And I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, you're not under law. You're under grace. It is our own efforts at trying to find a way to make life work without God. And I hope you soon discover that you can never do enough. I hope you soon, that you, before you leave here tonight, discover that I don't have to perform up to somebody's expectations so that I can gain approval on the part of my 
appears and a part of, on the part of God. No, ladies and gentlemen, we don't live like that. Let me tell you something. This is kind of a related, I hope this will ring a bell with somebody. I don't care what you've done. You are not defined by your failure. That is not you who you are. Your identity is not made up of all the bad things that you did. Your identity is that you are savingly joined to Christ and forever permanently in union with Him. So to do anything to try and enhance your, that standing, to do anything to try and place yourself in some kind of spiritual rarefied air by your, your efforts to contribute to your worth and value, it is simply... Living under law. I don't live like that anymore, ladies and gentlemen. There's so many ramifications of it. I mean, we compare ourselves with ourselves. We're dying to have approval. We're dying to have somebody say, you're the best Christian mother I've ever seen in my church. I've never seen anybody who prays like you. I've never seen anybody that witnesses as much as you do. We're dying for that kind of stuff. The preacher gets out of the pulpit just can't wait for somebody to give a piece of positive feedback. Because it's our performance that really counts. We seek to build our identity on being good evangelists or good prayers or good preachers or good mothers or good daddies or good whatever. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's a curse. Because we don't live under law. We live under grace. Oh, that you could taste it. I'll tell you a quick story. And I, and, and I can go... I, 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 this is all notes on living under law. This is the Acts 15 stuff. But um, I, I, there's, a, there's a young... I can't tell you the details. They wouldn't want me to tell you the details. Um, there's a family in our church right now, though, is really having a horrible time because one of their kids blew it. Blew it bad. Well, I, I shouldn't overstate it because... It's not, it's in, in some sense, it's nothing but a glorified prank. But that's to understate it. Because the kid might go to jail. And, um, and I am... I know who this kid is. I know where he's... I mean, forget the where he's come from. I, I know who he is. And his father's very concerned about his mental state. Doesn't want him driving home from school because he's so depressed and all that business. And, and, and I tell you, I wish I could tell you the details. I wish I, I mean, it's just unbelievable what this little, I mean, he's stupid. But have you ever been stupid before? Or am I the only one? <laughs> so you've been stupid before, for heaven's sakes. Then don't react too hardly to somebody who's been stupid then, would you? One of my greatest concerns is how the people of God are going to receive this young man. Because his name's going to be, actually, He's getting hate mail on the internet. He is being raked across the coals. He's a fine young lad. He did something stupid, and everybody ought to say, oh, that was pretty stupid. Now pay your fine and get back to work. But because we evaluate each other based on our performance, this young man can get gobbled up by us. But not if we live under grace. 
Those of you who are out there living under the law. And your kids would never do something like this. Well, I'm happy for you. But it's only a matter of time. And then you'll be longing from the grace that I hope this young man gets from this congregation. Guys, living under law makes you ugly. Living under grace. And the one that sets you free. And and there's a beauty about people who understand grace that those who don't will never, never understand, never know. What this text is all about is, what are we going to do? We're going to live under law. We're going to live under grace. Paul fights. And so will I. I've told you this before. I will fight for you to be able to be free to exercise your Christian liberty. I will fight because if, if, if people chip away at our Christian liberty, they chip away at grace. And I can't let them do that. So, is there going to be a lot of mistakes made? Probably. But I'm not saved based on my mistakes or, by, or my merit. I'm saved because I'm savingly joined to Jesus Christ. It's good news, y'all. Let's quit. Father, I, I do pray that you will guard this congregation from ever slipping, as did Peter, away from a gospel of grace um, and into law. Oh, God, might we uh, find great freshness and enjoyment in this, this gospel that tells us that the only merit that ever, that ever existed was Jesus' merit. And we, in all of our demerit, get credit for His. What a gospel, Father. It is far better news than we ever dreamed. Might we be the, at the forefront of declaring it. It's our privilege to do so. Fill us with your Holy Spirit as we seek and attempt to defend and proclaim and placard a gospel that is more beautiful than we ever dreamed. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Good night.